I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they develop to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Jenny, a couple weeks ago, I went to this amazing event called the Limitless Society. And while I was there, I heard inspiring stories from a lot of different people. But I met this one guy and I'd heard just parts of his story while he was speaking to the group. And I approached him afterwards and I'm like, I'd like to hear more of your story because you know me, I want to hear everybody's story, right? And he started sharing with me kind of the bigger picture of his story and I was just shocked. You know what was crazy though is I come back and I tell you, I know this guy and you're like, wait a minute. I know this guy. (laughs) What a small world. So how do you know him? So I know Ben Moa and his wife because they help run a an athletic facility up near my home where my boys train and a bunch of other young athletes. They call it Tip Top Athlete and it's speed and agility and conditioning and character building and all of the above and it came highly referred to us all the all the athletic families we know at home in North Ogden and I also know he works in the real estate industry up close to home. So I don't so know. I'm super personal. I'm like, I know Ben Moa. I come back and I start telling you bits and pieces of the story. And you're like, wait, what? I never, and I'm like, I've got to get these people on. And you've got to hear the whole story from them. It so, just goes to show that you can know somebody without really knowing somebody. Absolutely. We don't really know the trials, the struggles our neighbors have been through. And that's what this show is all about. Absolutely. And we don't understand like what is the motivation behind the great things that are being yep. done in our community. Absolutely. And sometimes it was from making bad choices as a yeah. kid or doing some things that didn't work out or loving some people that struggled in other ways, you know? Sure, absolutely. So I'm excited. Today we have Ben Moa and his wife, Christina. Christina is a beautiful woman. I was just taken. She's gorgeous. And Ben Moa used to play football for the U of U. He's played for Miami Dolphins, New York Giants, the Las Vegas Gladiators, and he also has uh, done MMA. So he's kind of a badass. Are we allowed to say it on KSL Podcast? We're going to today. We're going to find out when this airs if that's still there or not. We're going to say it today because he really is cool guy. And I cannot believe the trials and struggles that got him to where he is today. And it, it's an inspiring story. So with that, welcome Ben Moa. Hello, hello. Thanks for the opportunity to speak today. You're welcome. I'm so excited. And I'm really excited to hear from Christina as well. She she is a big part of your story, right? 
she's a huge part. She is the main part of my story. I love that. (laughs) Well, Christina, welcome to our show. Thank you. We're uh, we're excited to be part of it. (laughs) I think that we're going to have fun today. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about both of you and or yeah, you can each take a few minutes, however you want to do it. And then um, Christina, I know that you're going to get started with the story and then Ben's going to highlight and fill us in on some things, but however you guys want to approach it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Ben and I, we met uh, when we were 18 at the University of Utah. We were both attending school there. I happened to move into the dorms in January. So after um, he had already been there for a whole semester and the roommate that I got in the dorms just said, Hey, do you want to go meet some football players? And I was like, okay. I grew up watching football. My brother played at BYU. So I was very familiar with those type of, you know, athletics and sports. So I was comfortable to go and meet some guys and hang out. And so when I, we walked across the way to where the old dorms were and the guy that opened the door was Ben and he had this big smile on his face and was like, hi, I'm Ben. And I was like, this guy's so happy. <laughs> He's so happy. And, um, really ever since then, we just kind of stayed together. We, seven months later, we were married and off it went. So that's um, young so we, and that's fast. <laughs> yes, it was young and fast. Okay. Um, so just that love mm-hmm. at first sight. Here we go. Yep. Here we go. While we were dating, he, you know, we were getting to know each other. And uh, I, you know, I asked the normal questions, I guess, like, where are you from? You know, like, who's your family? Normal questions, I think, to get to know other people. And he tells me, um, he says, you know, I play football at the University of Utah, but, you know, I, I, I'm a gang member. I used to be a gang member. In my mind, I was like, why is he telling me this? Like, you don't have to impress me. And gang members <laughs> don't get scholarships to big colleges. So I was wait, that gang, the gang history <laughs> was high school. This was pre-college. So young. Yeah. Mm-hmm, super young. Well, so, well, I, I, before high school. Before so, high school, yes. We'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, so this is just my point of view, I guess I should say first. I, I, this is all I knew. This is the first that is the first time I ever heard of a gang member. I'm like, well, gang member, you know, gang, gang members don't go to college, which was very naive, first of all. And I just, I don't know. I just liked him. And so I didn't think anything of it. He did, never showed any, like, to me, gang movies, that was not Ben. So I just thought, oh, we must be like a family member and maybe he's including himself in that. He didn't have a bandana uh, hanging out of his back pocket and no, pants all the cliches. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> like carrying knives or something. I don't know. Yeah. It was in my 18-year-old mind, but it definitely wasn't what I saw and or what I felt. So I just knew that I liked him and we fell in love and we got married. I didn't really know much more about that. So if Ben wants to talk to you about, I guess, how... He got to that point in life. I guess that would be great. How so, he got to the okay. before, we, okay. before we get to that, Christina, um, mm-hmm. so you're from Modesto. I'm from Sacramento. Those areas have a lot of gang members. And you do, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, I don't know how much younger you guys are than me. I don't have a reference, but. We're 41. Okay. So you're about 12 years younger than me. You know, 30 years ago when I was in California, there were some rough characters and they typically oh, yeah. had their pants down to mm-hmm. their ankles and mm-hmm. they either had a red or blue bandana out their back pocket and and they did have guns and knives on them. 
Yeah. So I mean, I grew up in a very open family. Like my parents didn't like shelter me and I had friends of all different types of walks. I was very involved in the school. Like, I don't know. I think it just wasn't in my mind. Like I wasn't sheltered. So I knew in a way, but it just wasn't what fit my mind with what Ben told me, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I totally Mm -hmm. get that. So Ben, tell us when did this all begin? Okay, so I'll rewind to the beginning of my story, how I got to the University of Utah, okay? So I am from Southern California, so I was born in San Bernardino, California, uh, raised in Rancho Cucamonga, in gangs, drugs, violence, all that stuff. Uh, You want me to tell it, or? Yeah, and then I'll chime in. Okay, okay. Um, so what I know then, this is what I've heard, obviously, is that he grew up in Southern California. He was raised by his mother. He's the youngest of three. He does not remember his dad. Supposedly about two or three, he's been told is like the last time he saw his dad. Ben, his nationality is half black, half Tongan. His mother is Tongan. And I was um, raised by my Tongan side. Yes, yeah, so he was raised by his mom. And then most of his childhood, Ben, tell me if I'm wrong, but you lived with your grandfather. I lived with my grandpa, yeah. My mom was which always working. Your, mom, so back, your mom's dad. My mom's dad, which is mm-hmm. Tongan. His native tongue is Tongan. doesn't speak a ton of English, but made his way here. We were always raised in the church. He went on a mission to Hawaii for, I think, six years, my grandpa. And he was responsible wow. for bring, bringing a lot of the Tongan people here from the islands in the early 50s, I think, or something like that. That's very um, cool. So he's really stoked for the LDS church and the Tongan people coming here. So we were always go to church. He'd always make us go to church and do all this stuff. But this was in California, right? So we, he was working all the time, and my mom was working all the time. And basically, and all my uncles were in, uh, it's called the Tongan Crip Gang, and they were Basically, they ran around like with a huge influence from the L.A. gangs and started to do their own thing. So the people I looked up to were my brothers and my cousins and my uncles, and they were all in gangs and heavily in gangs and mafia stuff. So when I was a kid, my goal was to be the best gang member I could be, and that's because that's all I was around me, and that's kind of a classic product of the environment deal so i started fighting everyone or fighting anyone that wasn't a part of our gang and i would always fight and we had guns we shot at people we did and you're all how old crazy, so. you're how old in all of this it was probably from nine to eleven okay that blows my mind ben because i have a nine-year-old i have a eleven-year-old yeah. Um, exactly. They like they like Nerf guns. They like water guns. They like to because, play with their friends and cousins. I can't imagine them yeah. being in an environment where it's a real so gun, I'm, real yeah, danger, really, real drugs, real violence. I really skipped that childhood part of my life. Yeah, I had to grow up really quick because when I was in the really midst of young, this, I got, I, do you go to school? Like, are you showing up to school no, nine to three I, on a regular day? No. So funny part is, I didn't. I went to elementary, but I, I didn't go to the end of elementary and any of junior high. Wow. So from 12 to 16, I was locked up at Mill Creek Youth Center on 12th Street in Ogden. Yeah. I so, know it because as a youth in my church, we used to go visit and learn basically how to avoid. <laughs> sure I mean, honestly, really, yeah. they, they took us there to do some service. But 
for all of us from outside that lifestyle, it felt like it's kind of like Christina said. It felt like what you'd seen in the movies. Like yeah. I, I grew up in Ogden, Utah, and I didn't grow up in gangs. I didn't grow up in that kind of violence and that kind of atmosphere. It felt so foreign, and yet this is really all you had known your whole childhood. So we come from California to Utah for a reunion. I ended up getting into a gang fight and ended up, I ended up shooting someone wow. in the in the leg, in the waist area, and I got locked up at Mill Creek Youth Center for four years, twelve to sixteen. So really, I didn't go to junior high. I didn't go to end of elementary. And then, so I met a lot of Polynesian, good Polynesian men that were there. And they were teaching me, basically, that this is not what you want to do. You don't want to be in gangs. You don't want to be this. It's not normal to be selling drugs at this age. It's not a normal thing. So once I realized that, I kind of started working towards, hey, I like making these people happy. And I like being a good person because I've always felt like I wasn't like my brothers and my cousins. I, I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know anything else. So I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I just assumed, Oh, I might as well just be a gangster. But now, now I have something to compare it to. And it's like, Oh, that's not normal. That's not okay. That's not what everyone else is doing in the world. I need to change it. So then the counselors in Mill Creek Youth Center were helping me just become a man so basically i trained we basically worked out we did packets for school and we did a lot of treatment type things to kind of open your mind therapy type stuff mm-hmm. open your mind unlock your mind this is not you who do you want to be were you, you using drugs at that point in mill creek well not in mill creek but before, oh, before you got there before yes before i used every drug you can imagine oh i mean you're just a kid, a kid. Peanut butter, Craig, weed, crystal meth, cocaine, oh. everything. Oh. We were selling all this stuff. So the only way to make you not nervous when you're selling this stuff to people and they've got guns and they're shooting is to do the drug and feel powerful Wow! as a kid. So it's then so I scary. imagine it's in, so, it's so scary. It's in so Mill scary Creek, when you're, going, you're cut yeah, off from so, access to that. Right. Yeah, do you go through right, massive withdrawal and shock and things? Uh, that comes with all that stuff. Like sure. it's a detox period when you go into Mill Creek. You usually don't go. So Mill Creek is a secure facility. It's basically like a kid prison. So if you don't know how the systems work, it's you go to jail before you go to prison. And jail is like your holding take. And if you are a career criminal, you go to a secure facility. So detention centers are where kids go to detox and then they get placed into these other places. Right. Wow. So so I was in um, Salt Lake Detention Center for months, and then I got transferred to a secure facility. The only reason I got transferred from Salt Lake to – I was supposed to go to Decker Lake in Salt Lake, but I got transferred to Ogden um, because uh, the counselor uh, – go ahead. Yeah. So being – obviously being married to Ben for so long, like, and looking back – not just on his life before me, but also on with his life with me, there's been so many different, literally miracles, blessings, whatever people want to call it. Uh, we see it as a blessing and literally a miracle. Some people may just call it luck. Um, like but a tender like, mercy. The, yeah, this is like one of the first things that really was a huge miracle to Ben was when he got in trouble and he was 12. I guess he was like on a high-speed chase 
um, with the cops because he shot somebody. Then he stole a car and the cops are chasing him. And so they end up when they arrest him, they want to charge. Whoa, him. Whoa, actually, whoa, we, we, we crashed into the we crashed into the what was it? The quakes? What is no the bees? The bees stadium. We crashed into the st- oh, 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 my okay. goodness. Yeah, I'm learning yeah. something new too today, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So here you are. You're 12 years old. You've shot somebody. You are in a high-speed chase. You're probably on drugs at the time. You stole yeah, a car. Am. I am. You stole a car. It, you're 12 years old in a high-speed chase with a stolen vehicle, and you crash into the B Stadium. Yep, and then in my defense, the guy <laughs> shot my cousin in the face first. Oh, Wow. So I actually got self-defense. Wow. I actually got so, self-defense. so they did want to charge him as an adult, though, right, Then. Yeah, they wanted to certify me as an adult and send me to prison. But my lawyer got me to self-defense thing because they shot us first. And so then I had to stay in four years for the all the stuff that I had on me, so the ben, drugs, the what, guns. You're there from 12 to 16. What happens at 16? Do you go back so, to the gang life? Do you go back to a high school setting? What happens oh, this next? Is a, this is another tender mercy that happens. One of the counselors in Mill Creek Youth Center, his name is Uncle Mace. He's not my uncle, but he's my uncle forever now. He ended up, because my option was to go back to California or to go to Salt Lake where the gang is, my other gang is. But my family moved, everybody moved from Southern California up here, and they moved to Glendale, Utah. So Salt Lake City, downtown, wow. on the west side. So everybody's here now. So my option was to go to, to Salt Lake and live with my mom in, in Glendale or to go back to California. I didn't have another option. So Uncle Mace was like, okay, I'll take you in as a foster kid. Oh, my gosh. And this big thing happened where the milk Creek was like, no, you can't take him in as a foster kid. That's a conflict of interest. And then so Uncle Mace said, okay, I'll quit. Wow. So he quit Mill Creek and took me in as a foster kid. And I'll never. And, that and that's was, your turning point. Yeah. Well, that's where it well, we don't know. We, no. Okay, they, like, there's not so yet. many. There's so many. Hold on, hold on. We got to take a break. Yes. We're going to take a break. Let everybody try to catch up to where we are. We'll be right back and find out what happens at next. 16. 16. Oh my gosh, that's still so young. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay, Ben, so you're 16. You're now released from the Youth Center, Mill Creek. You've got this 
sounds like wonderful uncle-like figure in your life offering you a second chance and opportunity. Continue with the story. So he takes me in as a foster kid, and actually they create a group home because I guess the foster thing wasn't going to work. So they created a group home called Triumph Youth Center, and I ended up being the first kid in Triumph Youth Center. So, I mean, there's a bunch of people to thank that are in that thing. It was my Uncle Mace, Miller, Atagi, Kenyatta Green. There's so there's a lot of people that have so many people that basically kind of remolded me and they seen something in me that I didn't see in myself. So many people to think. And basically all those guys they quit Mill Creek, right? One guy quit Mill Creek, started a group home and kept me there. And then all the coaches were recruiting me. They would come in to Mill Creek Youth Center, the basketball coach at um Ogden High, his name is Coach Wilcox and then another coach called Coach Colburn, they would come and watch me play against the adults because I was kind of mature. Like I already thought I was a man because of all the stuff I've been through. So I've always played up or did stuff up. So I, they would bring in people from Utah State to play basketball against me, and I would just destroy them. It was, it was pretty funny. Or in football, they'd bring in teams, to, and then the coaches would come watch me. So then everybody that was at Mill Creek on the staff went over to, to Ogden High, and they took over that staff to help me, and they all coached me there. That's amazing. So you started yeah. to find some footing through athletics, really. I mean, this yes. athletic ability you had kind of gave you some standout attention where they thought, hey, this kid's got promise. Let's channel it that yeah. way. Well, and not only so, that, yeah. obviously, th- these men really saw the potential of Ben, and they really believed in him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quitting your, so, your job and, and starting something different so that you could help this kid. To help him find yeah, that's a better crazy. path. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So that happened, and then it was like, switched my mind from wanting to be a gangster to wanting to be the best athlete I could be, to make everybody happy, to please everybody. So I put all my focus into that, and then, yeah, I just wanted to be the best athlete. But I'm still, remember, to take into consideration, I'm still the kid I was, right? Right. So I have a Band-Aid on, and I'm, I know this is right, but I'm wired wrong. I'm, I'm wired totally incorrectly. I'm right. wired to steal. I'm wired to cheat. I'm wired to yeah, how beat up was, people. So how I'm was that to, in the high school environment? Did you do okay in your class environment, the academic side of school, <laughs> where you hadn't really been used to going to junior high or even upper elementary? Yeah. No, I, I was fine in school. But grades-wise, it kind of master manipulated my way through everything. Because that's what you learn to become when you're doing, yeah. when you're in. Oh, yeah. Uh, Addicts so, and criminals, yeah. they're great charmers. Yeah. I, I didn't realize all this stuff until, you know, a lot of counseling and talking to people of what I was and why I was doing things. But that's what I was. I was a master manipulator. Even into my relationship, I didn't know, like, there's so much stuff. I'll let my wife touch on all that stuff, though. Christina? Um, where should we? So, where go I want to know, Christina, so. where in all of this did you find Ben? So we we know he got out of the Mill Creek at sixteen. You two met at eighteen. So somewhere mm-hmm. there was a couple years of fairly standard well, going to school, mm-hmm. and then it sounds like you did yeah. well enough in the athletic program in high school that then you ended recruited. up recruited to to the U. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, but I was still doing like stealing. Mm-hmm. I was still cheating. Like at one point in high school, he got in trouble again, right, Ben? And he actually yeah. got put back in detention center. Oh, really? It was for... Back to Mill Creek? Back to the same? No, I went to Weaver Valley. 
Okay. It's a holding. It's like a jail. Holding. But they let you still play football in and out of that? Yeah. So, well, yeah. So, they let me play football. So, I had an ankle monitor on. Wow. And I had an ankle monitor on when I got in trouble, and I was in track season. And so, I took state and shot foot and discus with the ankle monitor on. And wow. I've, never, and I've never thrown a discus or a shot put in my life. But Coach Filianga, who was a football coach, really believed in me and said I would do great at it. So then I just gave him everything I had, and I did exactly what he told me to do. And I took state and shot put and discus back-to-back. So it was my junior and senior year. That's incredible. Yeah, so I have all those little medals. It's pretty cool. So let's, and, I, mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's talk a bit about once you two meet. So you meet at the University of Utah. Ben, You have. it's been mentioned that you're half Tongan, half black. Christina's half white, half Mexican. Did mm-hmm. I get that right? And you meet yeah. at the U as young kids, but Ben's got a huge history as a young kid on that University mm-hmm. of Utah football team. Christina, did you... Was that just kind of okay with you? Could you see potential in him that you weren't worried about or afraid of that past? Because I'll be honest, if this were my daughter going away as a freshman to school, <laughs> yeah. and she calls and says, "Hey, mom, I I'd met be this her guy, home and locking her up, and he won the <laughs> yeah, he won the state record, but he had an ankle bracelet because dot. I mean, let's be real that that isn't your typical love story. You're like, hey, found the perfect guy. Clearly, yeah. you knew Ben had more to him than what his. <laughs> upbringing had offered him can you walk us through the relationship yeah. side of that i i mean the resilience of choosing to build a relationship with someone that had that kind of record for lack of a better word most of yeah. us would just say heck no stay away that's too risky so i'm really curious yeah, on the know, personal side of things yeah that's exactly i mean i really was like living this la la land I, I don't even know like where my mind was at 18 but i was just enjoyed Ben. I enjoyed his positive attitude, his happy smile, his inclusiveness for other people. Very aware of... I have to admit, I mean, I'm sure you saw what I saw in him that Saturday when I met you guys. I mean, he has an engaging smile and there's something about Ben that is just endearing, I think is a good word. And inviting, like she said, you've got a way to set people at ease around you, which... Again, does not fit that stereotype of the gang guy. No, no. You know, I'm and not scared of him and intimidated by him. I feel no, welcome and, and eager I would to never, talk with him. Yeah, I never felt any kind of anything from him, like threatening like, while we were dating. I went home one first spring break during when I was at the U, and I asked him the night before. It was I was leaving on Saturday. It was Friday. I said, hey, do you want to drive to California with me for spring break? And he was like, sure. And I said, okay. And so we drove across. Uh, Nevada, um, and he came and met my family, and if they also fell in love with him, his, you know, the same thing. Like my parents, they didn't say like, you know, we have this really weird feeling about him, or him and my younger brother, they got along so well. There's six of us in my family. I'm the fifth, so I have a lot of older siblings. They all loved Ben, and that was really important to me. Obviously, my family is. So when they met him and they felt the way I did, it just I was like, well, great. I'm glad everybody likes him like I do. So, yeah, I, I, he never. Um, so walk yeah, us through just, early marriage. What is what does life look like? How does it work? You transition oh. into college football. Oh, now wow. you're married. <laughs> yeah, I, you're well, you're going to find out. We want to know, like, yeah. what happens okay. next. It's It's been okay. 20 okay. years so, since uh, now. So, so just for yeah. you guys' reference, this story that we're telling you, ESPN did a story on it. Mm-hmm. And you, you just have to Google my name and it's on YouTube. 
So you I guys could it. check it out. Okay, maybe we can. Okay. Link I watched it. it. No, no, we'll... not right now, though. But yeah. she was going to tell you. I did what watch happened. it. Okay. You told I me have I... not watched uh, yeah. it, so you got to tell me the story anyway. Okay. Okay. I'll tell the story. So we get married in July because obviously football season's going to start in the fall and Ben needs to get back. So we get married the end of July and we head back to. Utah. So this was like the first thing of like, of my marriage, I should say. So we're driving back into college from California and Ben is driving and we get pulled over. And so going back to when Ben drove with me to spring break, I actually got pulled over and Ben got a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. Well, Ben never paid his ticket. And I didn't know that. Oh, I mean, and I sometimes that's all it takes. A yeah. small, a small infraction. Oh yeah. Are you in Nevada? Yes, we're in Nevada. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you're toast. <laughs> yeah, so he gets pulled over uh, for speeding, and he has a warrant out for his arrest because he never paid his ticket for not wearing a seatbelt a few months prior. And so they arrest him, and I have to bail him out with my only money I think we had. <laughs> so I We had got to... the money from um, as a gift, a wedding gift. And a she wedding to, gift, to give and I had to use it to bail Ben out. So that was kind of like the journey, I think. They were like, hey, guess what? This is going to be the journey of your marriage for a little bit of time. So that was like the first experience of like anything. And then fast forward to about three weeks later, we're living in Utah. Ben is now, you know, practicing at the U. He looks promising. Obviously, they're really excited because the year prior, he wasn't able to play. So this is like his first year. Uh, my mom, for some reason, happens to be in Utah with my sister. I really honestly don't know why they were here. I, they must have just been visiting me. So Ben was at practice, and I get a phone call from Ben's mom, and she tells me, hey, there's a wedding tonight. Can you guys come? And I've never been to a Polynesian wedding. I was like, yeah, we'll be there. And so when Ben comes home from practice, they said, Ben, we're going to go to this wedding. Your mom told us to be there. And he told me, I don't really want to go. And I was like, that's weird and that's rude. So we are going to go. So we went to this wedding. It was out, um, where is it, West Valley then? Yeah, I was at the Armory. But the reason I didn't want to go is because all the gang boys were there, all of them. So the boys from Inglewood came up and they're fighting with another gang. It's called the, the Tongan Crip Regulators. So the Utah Tongans were fighting against the Inglewood Tongans because of a big thing that happened in California. So I didn't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't think of saying to her, Christina, it's dangerous for me to go. No, it's because I'm not scared of danger. So I didn't I wasn't scared I didn't want her to go, basically. Um, yeah. yeah he I didn't want her to go. Were you concerned about getting involved in the gang activity? I mean it's like once you kind of are in that life no, it's hard to leave. Because because my brother was in prison, my oldest cousin was in prison. So I was kind of the person that they call it a shot caller. And I was kind of the person that kind of called the shots of what happens and who does what. Wow. Okay. So I didn't want to go. So, yeah. So, well, we go to the wedding. And we get to the wedding. We're there for about, I don't know, 15 minutes. And somebody comes to Ben and tells him something in his ear. And Ben doesn't say anything to me, but he immediately gets up and starts walking, like, out um, out of, like, the where the festivities were happening out into like this foyer type area and like he just left we were there my mom I mean it was a beautiful wedding my mom was enjoying it my sister they happened to know people so we were having a great time 
And then all of a sudden I had um, this really strong feeling that I needed to leave. And so I go and find my mom and I said, mom, we need to leave. And she was not having it. She's like, this is so fun. Like we're dancing, we're enjoying, like there's a lot of things that happen at a Polynesian wedding. And she wasn't wanting to go. And I was like, kept saying, like, mom, I really feel like we need to go. I'm going to go get Ben. We need to leave. And so I went and found Ben and he was sitting out with his cousins. And I said, Ben, we need to go. I want to go home. And at this point, I'm pregnant with my first son. Oh, and wow. so I tell, I say, Ben, um, we need to go. And he really did look at me and say, I'm not leaving. And it wasn't like, I'm not leaving. Like you can convince well, it me. Wasn't it was like, like I was <laughs> me- being mean. It was like, like I just told you guys, I was the head of the stuff. So I couldn't leave my, because this is what happened. I haven't told this story, not even the ESPN. So the other gang comes and they have about 40 people. And then my gang that was already there had about, 20 or 15 people so if i were to leave at that situation it would like when you're in a gang you never back down you never run so that's what i was taught so there was no way i could essentially you're the leader of this thing not the leader i'm not the leader of the gang. i'm just i was in a position where the director (laughs) yeah I (laughs) i was i couldn't leave for some reason I just couldn't. I couldn't do that to my brothers, and my, my little. Cousins. Okay, so what happens? I've got to know. Do you okay. leave? Do you stay? Is it safe? Do we die? Like, yeah. where does this go? <laughs> so I tell Ben. So he's like, "You just go." And so I said, "Okay," because I had this strength. I needed to leave. So my mom and my sister and I, we all leave. As soon as we pull out of the armory and we turn, I see this van, and I see all these boys like happening to like get into a van, and it kind of gave me like a bad feeling. And um, at this time, this is when they were preparing for the Olympics. So the freeway was closed at night and you had to go down State Street. And we lived up um, by the U. So when we were down, you know, south, so we had to hop on State Street. And within about five minutes of driving down State Street, we see all these cop cars start flying by me. And um, immediately my mom's like, we need to pray. And so like we say a prayer, we end up getting home. And a few minutes after being home, the phone rings because we don't have cell phones at the time. So the phone at the apartment rings and it's Ben's mom and she's like super calm. She's like, like a very high pitched voice too, like really calm, like, hi, Christina. And I'm like, hey, (laughs) she's like, can I please talk to your mom? And I was like, okay, this is like really weird. Like, but you could talk to my mom and I give the phone to my mom. Immediately, you know, whatever she tells my mom, my mom yells to me, Christina, like, come here. We need to get to the hospital right now. Ben's been shot. And I'm like, what? Like, what? I don't even, I can't remember knowing what to think. I just remember crying and then immediately trying to get to LDS Hospital. We're not from Salt Lake, and LDS Hospital is not a real easy hospital to find. Um, No, it's not. You know, it's kind of confusing, but we end up getting there. Well, Ben's mom is the only one there. My mom and I, my sister and I obviously come into the emergency room. They tell me uh, Ben's been shot in the lung. It hit his lung. We don't know any more than that. And so if Ben wants to tell you what happened at the wedding, then I can pick up from there. All right, Ben, we have to take a break. But when we come back, we want to hear about what happened when Christina left and what happened at this wedding. We'll be right back.
and we are back. Ben, we understand you've been shot, but and what how happened? old are you again? Remind me the age. Of He's got to be what nineteen. 18, 18 19. This is the very beginning. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is where Christina started. (laughs) And yet she's still here 22 or three years later. So I definitely need to hear more of the story. Yeah, Yeah. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's a crazy winding road we're going to be What happened? So we get to the wedding. Remember I told you the two groups are butting heads, right? Yeah. So they go in and they're going to fight. So I go in and step in. The guy that was talking to me told me what was happening and how they got there. So then they come up and they want to fight and I tell them not here. So what ends up happening is somebody comes out and was standing behind me, my little cousin, and they end up hitting him in the head with a shovel. (gasps) So then at that point, it's like, well, game on. Here we go. Yeah. So then we just start rumbling and then one of their guys starts shooting. One of our guys starts shooting I got shot in the middle of my chest, hit my bottom of my lung, collapsed my lung, so I start drowning on my own blood. The bullets lodged in my back. I think I got hit in the arm as well. And then another guy got hit in the leg, top of his kneecap, messed up his leg. And then after I get shot, I walk back into the chapel. Right when it hits my chest, boom, I'm just like, dang it, coach is going to be so mad at me. And we were about to play Cal. And I just grabbed my head like I'm in so much trouble from coach. Now I can't play. Like that was the only thing I was thinking about disappointing the coach, Coach McBride. So then I turn, walk back into the chapel, and then nobody knows what's going on, right? Because at a Polynesian wedding, it's loud, it's dancing, it's activities, it's luau, it's food. So then I get into the thing, and my grandpa sees me. I sit down next to my grandpa and I move my hand off of my chest and then a little stream of blood shoots out like a little faucet out of my chest. And then my grandpa just looks at me and I just look at him and then he sticks his finger in that hole to stop the blood in my thing. And then I just kind of boom, just lay down on the, he moves the chairs and then everybody starts screaming. So my grandpa basically stopped that blood from oozing out of my chest. And he just stuck my his finger in there. And that's when you're and, taken to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So then they life light me to the hospital. And then they shoot me with this thing that paralyzes you. And then they start sticking the chest tubes into your chest to drain your lung. When I'm in the helicopter, I'm thinking, these guys don't know I'm awake. And they're doing surgery on me. So then I start <laughs> freaking out in my mind and I start like crying. And then they slip my ribs open and start sticking tubes in my chest to drain my lung because it was drowning. And I didn't know that you're supposed to be awake. So, that, that, yeah, that's the last thing I remember. And then I blacked out. Wow. Probably mercifully so. So, Ben and Christina, what happens? You're you're young. You're in this gang incident at this wedding. You're in mm-hmm. surgery. We know you live because you're still here. Do you continue, as a University of Utah student, do you continue in that gang activity? Walk us through those college years getting into the NFL, because we got a lot of years to go from age we do, 19 but to 42. really quick, why was the other gang at the wedding? I've got it now. So, because we're family. We're talking. We're family. It's all family. <laughs> it's wow. all family, but it's, it's just, factions it's of different it's, factions. It's, it's sections of different family that don't like each other because of what happened in California. Oh, wow. So we're all family that this is happening to. We all know each other. So take us from that day through college, because we got to get from college to the NFL to to what you're doing now. 
That's a mm-hmm. lot of years. A lot. Of, are, are there, a lot. We got a lot to cover. Are there are there more incidents like this? Does this become a way of life? Christina, does this not push you away from um, yeah, bed and say, so, holy cow, I'm out of here? Yeah. So within the next like two months, so he gets shot. Then a few days later, he's at practice. The wounds open up and then he has to go back to the hospital. Um, they have to remove the bullet. And then he's attending practice again. He's on the mend. He ends up getting in trouble with the football team. He stole some money from a teammate in the locker room. Coach McBride has to kick Ben off the football team. Well, I didn't get caught. I didn't get caught. Coach McBride. Listen to him say that so proudly. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. I didn't get caught, guys. No, Coach McBride asked me if I did it. Oh, interesting. So you didn't get caught, but you were honest about it. Yeah, well, because these people were like, oh, I didn't do it. And then Coach McBride was like, did you do this? I felt like I couldn't lie to him. So wow. I, I told him I did it. And I did it. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. I did it, you know. But there was this respect for Coach Mack that I had because he took a chance on me. He knew my whole background. He knew I was going to be a handful. I guess so I just want to see how this college career goes with with things like this and you're not kicked off the team you're not kicked out of the school you are recruited by the nfl this is a story i really want to hear what those few early years of life and marriage look and christina doesn't just run away like tell us more about that well yeah so after he got kicked off the team for stealing the money from his teammate he came home he told me what happened and i was like super confused again like wait what why would you do that but we did have some money in savings and so i he's like i need to go back and pay my teammate and I said okay and he went to the bank and then he didn't come home so this was about two or three months into our marriage and now I can't find him and again we don't have cell phones like I can't just look up and you're my pregnant iPhone. right and I know and I guess I'm oh my gosh my son. I can't find him for probably about two three days and so my parents end up saying you know what we'll be out there tomorrow we're coming to pick you up you're coming back to California. Yeah, I, I think I'd be that mom, honestly. Yeah, yeah I'd want to be. Like, yeah, my parents are all amazing. So they came, they drove out to Utah. They um, they packed what we could in the two cars, and I left. I went back to California, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, like this is what life is going to be. I'm going to be a single mom. That's going to be okay. I have my family, my parents, you know, my siblings. I have a lot of support. But that wasn't the case. Ben ends up coming out to California a few weeks later and is like, I'm done with the gang life. Like, I'm done. Like, I want to be with you. I want to be with our son. And so this is probably around Thanksgiving time of the first year, first few months of our marriage still. And I'm like, all right, here we go. At the time, my dad owned a business in uh, Modesto. And so Ben was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to work for your dad for the rest of my life. And Ben was okay with that. He was like, because now something else that was part of Was your dad okay with that? Like, did your dad like the idea of bringing him in and thinking maybe we can get this kid on a great path? They're like, yeah, my parents are like so open and forgiving and loving. They never told me what to do. They would give me advice, but they would support my decision. Yeah. So, yeah, my dad was okay with that. And that was something that I saw in Ben when we first dated too, was like he was a really hard worker. And so he was okay, like working manual labor for my dad, like he was going to do it. And we were 19 and that was going to be, I don't even know how much my dad paid him. I, I mean, it wasn't a lot. We lived with them, but he was okay. It was and salary. I was, it was nice. <laughs> a few months then, after living in. 
Modesto, Christina I was like, forced me to go. I, I was like, hey, why don't we go down to the junior college like, and see about you playing football? Because I have never seen him play. I'd only heard, right? Like, and oh, watched wow. on VHS his athletic abilities. He's like, okay, we can go down to the junior college. And so um, this must have been like January, I'm thinking. We went down to the junior college. As soon as we walk into the football offices, the head coach is like, and again, at this time, I, we didn't mention to say this, but Ben carried his dad's last name. Ben's last name was Allison. Ben and Allison. so we, Ben Allison was his name. And that was now my name, Christine Allison. So we walk into this football office and the head coach looks at Ben and he says, are you Ben Allison? And Ben says, yeah. He goes, we've been waiting for you. And oh, Ben wow. was like, what? He's like, your coaches called us you know, a few months ago and said that you would move to Modesto. We were hoping you were going to come out here and, you know, come play football for us at the junior college. And that so was that like was Coach Mack a, and all the coaches paving the way for me, like a tender mercy again, like telling yeah. me, hey, look out for this guy. Opening that door. Yeah. yeah. So Ben registered for the junior college, and I guess working for my dad for the rest of his life was not going to be <laughs> the path. Um, and so he went to, into the junior college. Um, my brother actually happened to be graduating that same year, and so they both played for the junior college together um, in the year of 01. Our son mm-hmm. was born during this time. She got to watch me. I broke a lot of the school records there for receiving uh, at tight end. I became an All-American, junior college All-American, and I was going to commit and go to USC because USC wanted me to go and play for their program. This is the time when USC was the national champions. Oh, so wow. it was awesome for me to play with Reggie Bush. So I don't know if you guys know these guys. Reggie Bush, <laughs> Lindell, and all these guys that were Heismans. So Matt oh, Liner wow. was the quarterback, so he would have got the ball. To- Where did you That's end up? That's right. We didn't. So during this time, um, Ben is obviously going. We had a baby. Ben is attending the junior college. And he's also trying to, like, find himself. And for us, we found spirituality, religion, for us, was what's going to, you know, help some guidelines for our marriage. And so we ended up being filled in the Oakland Temple. And that was, like, a big goal for both of us. Ben's grandfather was able to be there, so that was really important for him. So all these great things are happening. And then, obviously, he's being recruited by big schools um, out of the junior college. And Coach Matt calls Ben in Modesto and says, Hey, Ben, we're recruiting you again. We want to come and visit you. And I'm looking at Ben like, this isn't happening, Ben. Like, I'm not moving back to Utah. I don't like the whole state of Utah now, all because of my bad experience there with what happened before well, yeah you know, i, I mean to, understandable got shot and you were pregnant and then he goes yeah. missing yeah i mean there's a lot to unpack there right yeah so i'm like no way like i don't I, he can come but in my mind there was like 100 percent said no okay so we've kind of gotten the first 20 years of your life which feels a lot longer than 20 years <laughs> and a whole lot going on we're eager to learn what adulthood brings what the college world brings we know you make it to the nfl and beyond we know you're still here at 41 this is going to be a great two-part episode we cannot wait to hear what happens next so we invite all of our listeners to join in next week we're grateful that you're here with us each week find us like us on your favorite podcast platform give us a like a share a rating and a review that helps us get the stories out there As always, if you're listening and you think, hey, I have a story to share, we would love to hear it and share that story. 
Find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast or email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And we'd like to give a special thanks to our amazing producer, Kellyanne Halverson. And a reminder, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Can't wait till next week, everybody. Bye. Stay tuned. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.